Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome uh, everybody that's uh, online. Glad you're here. I want to welcome those of you who are in various parts of the Long Point building. We're glad that you're a part too. And uh, I want to welcome off-site campuses, especially the Irmo campus. Uh, You say, why Irmo? Well, last night there were several ladies that were here from Irmo. They came for a beach weekend and uh, came to church, and uh, I asked if their husbands stayed home. They said yes, but they will be at church this morning. So I'm glad, and I'm glad you guys are there. And they wanted you to know that the house needs to be cleaned and the kids need to be ready for school tomorrow, okay? So that's all I'm going to say about that. You know, I love the roll-in that played just before I came out uh, about missions outreach here. I love how you guys serve. You guys serve, you give, build wells, uh, surgeries. My goodness, how do we do that many surgeries? Uh, and uh, just, just good stuff. And uh, this week I was at, um, met with leaders at uh, AME, uh, Emmanuel AME uh, Church downtown, the one where the tragedy happened. And uh, the women here, have served thousands of meals over the last little bit, just served your way into people's hearts. And I wanna say, yay God, it's great to be a part of that. And then um, when you give, uh, a portion of your money goes to plant churches because that's part of what we do too. We have a church planning organization that we call the Association of Related Churches, ARC. And uh, this is a brand new church planning season. There are seasons that are better for church planning. We're starting in the fall season and uh, we're planting two brand new churches this week. Life-giving churches in Kennesaw, Georgia and New Albany, Indiana. If you know anybody that lives there, tell them about it. Let's give it up for them. I just, I'm excited about that. And um, yeah, we're going to plant, we're going to plant, get this, 50 churches this fall, 50 churches, and then we'll, we'll do 100 by the time uh, the full year is done, and I get excited about that. It's because you guys give, and you guys care about more than just right here. We care about the world. So let me ask you a question. How many, the, or not how many, when is the last time, I want you to bring it to mind, when is the last time that you made a tough tough leadership decision. Do you remember that? It's a decision that um, it, was, it was hard to make. You lost some sleep on it. It impacted other people's lives, and they may have fought for the negative. <clears throat> one of those decisions that you really would rather somebody else make. Do you remember that? Remember making one of those? I, uh, I went on Facebook this week to ask my friends to kind of help me a little bit, and boy, I tell you what, I just got tons of responses And most of them could be categorized into kind of two areas. One is the releasing, firing, whatever you want to call it, of an employee. And all kinds of stories, you know, sometimes it's somebody that isn't performing well. Or sometimes it's not performance issue, it's an economics issue, companies downsizing, and you had to make the call. And it's tough sometimes when it's a friend. And uh, even tougher, a couple of people said, you know, when we felt like it was unjustified, And yet we were the one that had to make the call. Tough leadership decision. The other category was toxic people in your life. You know, people said it had a boyfriend, girlfriend, had just friends, co-workers, whatever. Had to make a tough leadership call. They didn't understand it. It was hard, but but I had to make it. And we we all make those kind of calls at some point in our life. In our business, if you have a business, in the church, we do, we have to. 
Uh, as parents, my goodness, there are all kind of tough leadership calls as parents. It starts when they're, you know, little, small, and the first time somebody asks them over for a sleepover, you know, and you don't know the parents. Kid might be fine, but you haven't met the parents, and the parents are probably great, but you, you've got to make this decision. Little guy or girl says, want to do it, and you say, no, we can't because we don't know them. They don't understand. You understand that it probably would be fine, but if it wasn't fine, it would be life-altering, and so you got to make that call. Or how about how about when you got kids and the, the first time they say, everybody else does it, why can't we? You know that one, okay? And you've got to make a tough call. And you say, we don't. And it's hard, but you, make, you, make, you don't put it up for a vote, you make a call. Remember that? Um, a couple of people said to me that the, the tough leadership call as a parent was when they refused to bail a child out of jail and how tough that was. I can only imagine. I'm not saying that's, everybody ought to do that. You, in fact, in all tough leadership decisions, there's no one size fits all. We, we get God on what, what our role is, but what a tough leadership decision uh, that much be, m- must be. And if you lead anything, there will be times that you're going to have to make a tough call that's clouded by uncertainty. You ever been there? You wish, man, I'm, I wish I knew beyond not just a shadow of a doubt, but I, I wish it was ironclad. And there are times you have to make decisions when you're a leader you don't know. You're just doing the very best that you can. Sometimes it's, um, it's, it, there, there's pain involved, and usually there's risk. Now, not every decision that a leader makes is tough. Uh, somebody came to me the other day at Starbucks and, and just said some nice things, and I was very, you know, grateful, flattered, whatever. But, but they said, You're, you have a tough job. And I get told that a lot, and, and, and I think, well, not really so much. I mean, most of, it's not rocket science, you know. Most of the time, it's, it's, it's not that bad. Um, in fact, somebody the other day uh, asked me about the ARC uh, from somewhere, a uh, magazine editor or something, I don't know where it was, and they, they said, what is, what is it about the ARC? The ARC plants, you know, we're, we're planting 100 churches this year, 500 and some so far, and a 93% success rate, which we judged by five years later is the church still in existence and growing. And it's unheard of. It's unheard of. But that's what our success rate is. And plus, b- because of good training, good finances, and picking the right people. And um, some of the largest churches in America were planted through the ark. And so they're asking me, why? What, what is it? And, um, and I said, well, go online. I mean, we've got nine or eight or nine value teachings on there. And he said, I've seen all that. I want you to just give me gut level. What's the secret sauce? You know, I thought, I don't know what the secret sauce is, but I had to think of it, you know. It was a good exercise for me. And so I said, here it is, here it is, two things. And this is my mantra now. I believe if you'll do these two things, you can build a church, you can build a business, and you can probably build a great family. Two things. Um, treat other people like you want to be treated. Oh, hey, that's original, isn't it? Yeah. And the second one is this, don't do stupid things. Okay, those two things. <clears throat> That's it. How many of you agree with that? I mean, I mean, when we have a pastor that doesn't function like we think it should, it's probably either they don't treat people the way that they would like to be treated. Because if you're ever in doubt, in the church, we're family. So how would you treat family? Not a dysfunctional. Uh, we are dysfunctional. But how would you treat functional family? That's the way it is. And, and or it's, they do stupid things. And when, you, and when you have somebody that doesn't treat people the right way and does stupid stuff, 
you're a disaster. Okay, that's just kind of how, how, how it is. It's, and, and, and here's what I think about business. I think 95% of the CEOs of any company, Apple, uh, Boeing, whatever you want, any company, 95% of the decisions that a CEO makes could be made by a reasonably intelligent high school graduate. It's just common sense stuff. But they don't pay CEOs for the 95%. They pay them for the 5%. And the 5% are the tough, tough leadership decisions. And, um, and uh, so, so if you want to be a good leader, not a bad leader, you just treat everybody right and don't do stupid stuff. If you want to be a great leader, you learn how to make tough, tough decisions. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. We're in a series in Joshua called Take the Land. And we're studying a promising a new leader as he learns to listen to God and as he learns to lead people uh, into the land that God has promised. If you remember the story, uh, Moses leads them out of Egypt. They're going to go to the promised land, uh, and yet they disobey God and say it's too many big people there, too many enemies. We can't do it. And so uh, they wander around east of the Jordan River for 40 years in the desert until all the unbelievers that didn't believe God could do it die. And then Joshua is tasked with leading the people over the Jordan River, west of the Jordan, to a land that's already occupied, but it's a land that God has promised them. And he encounters delays, obstacles, and oppositions along the way. And the premise of the series is that God has land for you. He has promised land for you. It's in your family, it's in your spiritual life, it's in your business. Even as a church together, God has promised land for us, and we've got to occupy it. And along the way, we will encounter delays, obstacles, and oppositions. But there are principles in the book of Joshua that are important for all of us. And today, we're in chapter 5. We've been taking just about a chapter a week. Joshua has to make a tough leadership decision that's going to impact, literally hurt, as many as a million people. Disclaimer, I didn't want to do this week's message. And you'll see fairly quickly why. Okay, so let's, let's go to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1. If you have a Bible, great. If you don't, uh, you can follow along on the screen or in the, in the uh, worship guide that you got. Now when all of the Amorite kings west of the Jordan, remember where was Israel? East of the Jordan. Last week they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. So it's talking about the Amorite kings in the promised land west of the Jordan. And all of the Canaanite kings along the coast, why are there so many kings? Because every city had a king, okay? They're, they're, they're city kingdoms. Some of these kingdoms are huge. They just excavated the other day and found the city Gath that Goliath was from. And they said, this thing is monster. It's huge. These are powerful, powerful kingdoms. And they said they had heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, and their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelite uh, people. And so, very powerful people, but God is dealing with the enemies, and Israel doesn't even know it. Now, they know a little bit, because they sent spies to um, Jericho, and there was a prostitute there that said, you know, in Jericho, we're pretty afraid of you guys, because we have seen what, it, what has happened. And uh, that's even before they crossed the, the Jordan River. But they don't know that all these huge kingdoms are afraid of them. They just know that they're supposed to go and, and take the land. But God's at work already. 
dealing with the enemies. They don't even know it. You know what? The land that God is giving you has enemies and it. it's got giants. There are giants in your land. I'd love to do a message on that. I'm writing a whole book right now about Caleb and how he took a mountain and the giants that he had to face. We'll talk about that later. But um, there, there are giants in your land and God is already at work on them. If you look at the you look at your challenges in light of who you are, you'll be afraid. You can't take it. But if you look at them with the concept that God is already at work behind the scenes on whatever is ahead of you, then you can have faith in God and you can take the land that God has for you. That's verse one. I'm stalling. Verse two. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. This is why... I didn't want to preach on this. Let me, let me tell you how this came. So, so we have a team that kind of does this series, you know, and kind of lays out where we're going. And, and usually they just tell me, okay, we you, lately anyway, you preach here and here and here. And I've been, uh, my wife and I celebrated our 39th anniversary about a week and a half ago. That's applause worthy, that right there. For her, if nobody else. And... And so we've been away, and so I come back, and they said, we want you to preach on Joshua 5, and then Joshua 6, the next two weeks. And so I said, great, I'll do it. I'm excited. I've been watching the series, and it's a cool series. And then I read Joshua 5, and um, it's like, it mentioned circumcision like 95 times. Okay. <laughs> Probably not that many, but it's just a lot. And I thought, uh, I'm going to make a tough leadership decision here. So I went back to the guys and I said, here's what we'll do. It's a short chapter. Let's put it together with chapter 6. I'll do 5 and 6 this week, mostly talk about Jericho. And then I'll do 7 next week. And they said, no, that's not how it works. They said, man up and do circumcision. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. I know that I could do I know that spiritually, I can spiritualize it. Circumcision is, in the New Testament, it's what? It's baptism, because it's identifying. It's the identifying with God, identifying with Christ. And they also do the Passover, and the Passover in the New Testament is communion. And we take communion, celebrating that Jesus uh, cleansed our sins just like they were cleansed of, of uh, the sins of Egypt. And I can do all that. But I thought, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something I don't do almost ever. I'm just going to do a leadership talk this week. I'm going to channel my inner John Maxwell, okay? And, uh, and I'm going to do a leadership talk about a tough leadership decision that Joshua makes. Does that make sense? And it just wimps out a little bit on the whole deal, but let's read the scriptures. Okay, let's go. Let's go. If you think that you've got a tough leadership challenge, think about Joshua. He's got to convince 600,000 fighting men between probably ages of 25 and 40 plus every boy over the age of eight days and their mama that he has heard from God, we're going to take a flint knife and we're going to circumcise everybody and this is a good idea. And, and, and they are just inside of enemy lines. They've just come over the water. They don't know everybody's afraid of them. They're going to be, let's just say vulnerable for a few days and this is a great idea. Let's incapacitate everybody and let's read. Okay, so it says, so Joshua made flint knives. Why flint knives? They had metal knives. Maybe they didn't have enough. So he went to Walmart. I, I have, I've got 
plastic knives. That's all I could come up with. I don't have flint. And uh, they had a circumcision party. I, I don't know what they did. But anyway, they did it. And circumcised the Israelites at somewhere. And now this is why he did so. I'm glad it says this is why. It says, all those who came out of Egypt, all the men in, of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. And the Israelites had moved on in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones that Joshua circumcised. Um, and, and they were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised. I mean, how many times can you use the word in like <laughs> one sentence on the way? And after the whole nation had been circumcised, there we go again, they remained there in the camp until they were healed. Good idea. And then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. What's Gilgal mean? It means to roll. And so it's a, it's a memorial, like Josh talked about last week. It's a place that they would remember that God rolled away their sin, and now they're ready to roll into the promised land. So I want to talk to you about tough, tough leadership calls. This is a tough one for Joshua. How do you make it? We'll talk about that. And uh, just a few observations about leadership calls. Uh, they have several things in common. Uh, number one, they always demand a risk. They always demand a risk. My friend John Maxwell says, if it's easy or comfortable then it's not a tough call. Would you agree with that? If it's easy or comfortable, just a call. It's the 95%. If, it, if, it, if it's not, it demands a risk, it's that 5%. Leaders have to be willing to do things that others are unwilling to do. That's part of leadership. Um, another one of my friends, Larry Osborne, says this, the most striking thing about highly effective leaders is how little they have in common. What one swears by, another warns against. But one trait stands out. Effective leaders are willing to take a risk. Joshua takes a risk. This is his first leadership decision in the new land. Have you know, that's important. We got to get a win here. We got to get a win. First leadership decision in the new land, he takes a risk. There's the vulnerability of the enemy attacking. There's the risk of looking foolish for his faith. Did God really say that? There's the risk of popular outcry, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But if you're not willing to take a risk, then you probably ought not to be a leader. Because you can't make forward progress. See, God said, take the land. You can't take anything without there being risk involved. It involves risk, okay? Can't play, safe, play it safe and go forward at the same time. Second thing about tough calls, always demand a risk. Secondly, they will be second-guessed and criticized. If you make a tough call, there are going to be people that don't agree. How do you think everybody agreed with Joshua's decision? No. You know, he announces. He announces. We're going to circumcise all the guys. You know, party tomorrow. Some 25-year-old guy has no clue. I love Joshua. He's awesome. What's circumcision? I hate Joshua. No. <laughs> there are going to be people that disagree. Okay. 
You'll never make a tough call and have unanimous support for your decision. If that's what you're waiting on, not going to happen. Never happened here. Um, I get asked a lot about multi-site. We had an English pastor visiting last night. He's in the campuses today. Took me to dinner last night. I want to talk about multi-site. I talk about multi-site all the time because we were one of the earlier leaders. What is multi-site? That's where you have church in more than one location. And in the other locations, they're watching me live through a video uh, screen right now. And uh, let me tell you, in the early days of doing that, um, I never had anybody come to me and say, gee, Pastor Greg, that sounds like a great idea. Nobody. Uh, today, I get asked this question all the time. How'd you get full buy-in for multi-site? I said, full buy-in? It wasn't even close. My own brother told me, that's the stupidest idea I have ever had in my life. And then he goes and writes a book on it and is famous all over the world, which still upsets me. Okay? Still, to this day. So, so it wasn't even close. L listen, listen. It's still not even close. There are some of you, this is your decision. I'm not condemning you, but I just want to bring it out in the light for what it is. There are some of you that live real close to a campus that we have that you drive past that campus, sit your body right in this chair because I gotta have it live. Okay? No buy-in. You know, if we were to take a vote on it, it probably wouldn't pass today. But we've got 15, 20, sometimes 25,000 people without ever having built a bigger building. As a result, we made a tough call. It happens other response time. At the end of our service, we will have response time. There are hundreds of churches that are doing that now. And, um, and uh, we didn't have 100% buy on it. We didn't have close to 100%. I remember the first time we did response time. You know, we're at the end of the service. You go to the cross, candles, communion, prayer team, all that. People used to ask me, why don't you have an uh, altar call? You need to have everybody eyes closed, hands raised, sing just as I am, come down to the front, all that kind of stuff. Because I've never been good at that. I used to give altar calls, nobody would come. I would say, anybody need to get healed? No, we're fine, we're good. You know? The only decent altar call I ever had was when I said, Is, everybody hates cats, will you come down front? You know, come on, just chill. Get a sense of humor, okay, chill. I don't abuse animals. So, uh, so, so we did this response time, which I call now an altar call for everybody. You'll watch it at the end, it's just kind of altar call for everybody. And uh, in the first week, one of my friends here in this church who had a Baptist background says to me, what, with the candles, which is the most popular thing that we do, what, are we going Catholic now? Now, if you're Catholic, that wasn't a compliment, okay? I'm just, I'm just telling you that. And to which I responded, uh, no, but we're not ignoring the first 600 years of our, or 1600 years of our church history. That's all we're doing. But we, do we have full buy-in? No. We probably still don't. Every time we build a, a building, and we're going to build one soon, and we're going to ask you to be involved, and we won't have full buy-in. We never do. There are people that think it's great. There are people that get mad. There are people that leave the church because we build another building. And then they come back a couple of years later because they didn't have to pay for it, and it's all nice, and all that kind of stuff. Whatever. Whatever. Do whatever you want to do. You will never, you will never get full buy-in for a decision. There will always be people that you just make the tough call. It's going to require risk. You'll be second-guessed, criticized. Number three, they'll be costly. They'll be costly. You will lose sleep over tough decisions. There'll be nights that you can't sleep. There, there will be sacrifice. Let, let me just say this, though. 
After a leader makes a decision, he or she sleeps. You make it, you move on. Uh, regret is a one-way street, okay? Make the decision. If you're not sleeping over a decision that you've already made, move on. Ask God, God, you know, I did the best that I possibly could. Move on. Just a little, little something for you. But you will lose sleep in the process. It may cost you finances and perhaps even sever relationships as a consequence of it because tough leadership calls are fun to read about, but they are seldom enjoyable to experience. So they're tough. But here's the fourth thing. They lead to leadership breakthroughs. If made correctly, a tough call will lead to a breakthrough that lifts your leadership to a new level. We'll see that with Joshua as we go on. And by the way, if everything's going well, the people don't need you. You know, uh, when an organization has momentum, nearly anybody could lead. It's that 95% deal, okay? All a person has to do is find out the direction the people are going and get in front of them. I tell pastors, what do I do? Man, great things are going on. I don't know if I can lead this. I say, just act like it's a parade and get in front of it. Act like you're leading it. Just figure out which direction it's going and go. But when, when, when an organization has lost its way, when a family's lost their way, when a country has lost its way, that's when leadership is needed. That's when leadership shines. So your family, your team, your business, your church may have lost its way. Here's the good news. You're just one tough call away from a breakthrough. One tough call away. I wish I could take time to tell all the, all the times that happened here. One tough call from a breakthrough. So if that's true, how do you make a tough leadership call? Let's take a look. I want to give you some do's and don'ts with the remainder of our time making a tough call. Number one, don't put it off. But do be wise about timing. Have you ever been tempted to put off a really hard decision? Anybody here? Okay, rest of your liars. Okay, yeah, we all do, almost all of us. I, this is my toughest gig, is doing it timely. I'll say, this can wait. Let's just cross that bridge when we come to it. This is such a tough call, I really need more time to pray about it. Prayer is good, but after you get done praying, you gotta get up and make a decision, okay? This is a lose-lose situation. Somebody's gonna get hurt either way. We may as well put it off as long as we can. All those sound great. Here's the, here's the deal. You can trick yourself into thinking that you can wait, but a cloud of worry is going to follow you as long as you don't make the call. Some of you know what that's like. There's a cloud of worry. Right? You're just thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. Just make the call. Make the call. Joshua didn't put off the tough call. He knew, he had to know it wasn't going to be popular. He had to know it was going to be painful, but he acted very quickly. Two things help him to... Make, make the wise call. Number one, he had credibility. If you don't have credibility, there's nobody going to follow you. Leaders must protect their credibility. Joshua had been a, a, a servant to Moses. They'd watched him. He served Moses. He didn't usurp authority. He served a long time. And now he's led him through the, um, the, the Jordan River. You need some wins. And he has a win, and then he makes a tough call right after a win, which is the second principle is this. Is, um, is, is, is that there, there was a, a changing landscape. There was a changing landscape. That helped him make the call. It's easier to make a call when there's disruption around. We're brand new. We're, this is a new, new day. We're in, we've, we're in the promised land. He's, he's got to win, and he, and, he makes, and he makes the decision. So here's a question. Is there a tough leadership call that you've been putting off? Is there? See, the truth is when you delay the right decision because it's a hard decision, you create a breeding ground for the problem to grow. 
So don't do that. Don't do that. Make the decision. Here's, here's the second one. Don't put it to a vote, but do seek consensus. Now, I'm not saying don't ever vote on anything, and sometimes the bylaws say, and we vote in our country, and that's, that's great. But there are times when you've got to make a tough leadership decision, and rather than make it, you want to give it away and let somebody else kind of vote and make the decision so that you won't look like the bad guy because you're afraid you'll offend people. Here's the truth. If you try to please people or pacify critics, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. It never works. Good leaders make decisions after weighing the evidence in light of their vision and their values. What's the best thing for our family? What's the best thing for our business? What's the best thing for our team or our church? Whatever it happens to be. Um, now, it doesn't mean that you don't try to gain consensus. You know, I'm afraid somebody will go away, away from this message, especially men, go home and say, bless God, I'm the head of our family. If you have to say that, you're in trouble. I, I'm just saying, you're, you're just in trouble. And go home and try to dictate what goes on. Um, you, you, you will have an insurrection, okay? So good leaders also gain consensus. This is something I learned from John Maxwell a long time ago. If you have the meeting before the meeting, you won't have to have the meeting after the meeting. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you just come into a family or a business group or whatever, and you announce, hey, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to change everything for everybody, you've immediately ticked off almost everybody. In fact, anytime you announce change, there are 65% of the people in your organization, family, or whatever it happens to be that are opposed to it because they don't like change. That's why at Seacoast, we never announce change. We don't change anything. We just tweak stuff, okay? That's all we do, just tweak stuff. But you have a meeting before the meeting. If you have the meeting before the meeting, you won't have to have the meeting after the meeting. I, I don't know what Joshua did, but if he was a wise leader, which I think he was, he probably did this. He probably, when he heard God, he probably grabbed four or five of his close buddies and said, this is what I'm hearing. Can you help me with this whole process? And then, and, and then he probably grabbed a, a group of influencers and he said, can you help me with this? And maybe he says to, you know, the head of the tribe of Benjamin, there's a guy in your tribe, very charismatic leader. I've watched him as I served Moses. And uh, every time Moses would do something, this guy would oppose it. And he's so charismatic, he'd have a, gro a whole group of people that would rally around his thought process. Could you do this? Could you get coffee with him? If I have to have coffee with him, I'll do it, whatever. But let's, let's get some consensus here. So that when he stood up in front of the people, there were very few surprises. At Seacoast, when we, when we do make change, I, I, I want very few, we leak everything because I want very few surprises. We want to talk to the people that it impacts. Do we violate that? Sure we do because we're not very smart sometimes. But we try to do, we try to do that. And, and, and as a leader, you gain consensus. So is there a tough call that you're putting to a vote? You just need to make it. Bigger question, are you doing the tough work of gaining consensus or are you just alienating the leader's around you. Great leaders don't put it off. Great leaders don't put it out. Here's the third thing is this, so important. If you're going to make a tough leadership decision, don't let fear stop you, but do find your courage in the presence of the Lord. It's one thing just to say, don't be afraid. You know, none of us want to be afraid, but we are afraid from time to time. Where do you get courage? You get it in the presence of the Lord. Because tough leadership decisions aren't for cowards. They're tough. They're hard. I got an um, email recently from a guy who wanted to share his story. I got permission to share it. 
And uh, he started going to a church. It was a church situation. Church politics are, are hard sometimes. And, um, and he started going to a church. Pastor invited him. Pastor became his mentor and then became his close friend. And then the pastor asked him to be on the elder board. And so he sat on the elder board where decisions were made in that particular denomination in church. Over the years, uh, finally after long period of time, the pastor had an inappropriate relationship with a female in the congregation. And this guy that's writing me the note said, I had to make the toughest leadership call I've ever made in my life. We've gathered the elders and I had to go to him and say, uh, you can't be the pastor here anymore. After 20 plus years of leadership, you've disqualified yourself. He said, it was tough, it was hard. So I had to do it, but he said, I didn't realize it would not be the hardest decision, nor cost me the most. He said, after that decision was made, we, we talked about how we were going to deal with it from here out. How do we take care of the family, both families? Do we take care of the pastor's family? And what about severance and all that? And some of the elders were hardline. I mean, he blew it. He doesn't deserve anything. I don't care how long he's been here, how much good he's done. And this guy made an argument that, no, that punishes the family it's punitive. We, 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 how much more can you do but take a job? Let's, let's help. And so they settled on counseling and a generous severance package. He said, I always want to err on the side of generosity. But some of the elders couldn't walk out of the room going, you know what, I didn't agree at first, but we made the decision and we're going to support the decision. Instead, they said, you know what, I never agreed. I was pressured. And so they rallied their little teams and it caused problems in the church. And ultimately, this guy who wrote the deal um, uh, was voted off the elder board and lost uh, friendships as a result. And, uh, and, and, he, and he said this. He said, leaders hold the very lives of others in their hands. Unpopular decisions come with a two-edged sword. Sometimes it's offense, sometimes it's defense. You'll have to do it in a split second. You've got to decide if you have to pull the sword from its sheath or not. Knowing that you may be condemned if you do and condemned if you don't. Leadership isn't like a DVR. I love this. This is why I wanted to read it to you. You can't stop and put the decision process on hold and evaluate what others may think and base your decision on that and then go back and hit the play button. He said, Pastor, he said, leadership is not for cowards. I thought it's not. I felt his pain. I thought, where do you get the courage to make this? Where did Joshua get the courage to make the tough call? First call he has to make, tough, tough call. Well, in Joshua chapter one, four times God says to him, be strong and courageous. You don't have to be particularly strong or courageous on 95% of the decisions that you make. It's on the 5% that count. You need strength and courage, and this is, this is one of those. Be strong. And courageous, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And then I love verse 8 of chapter 1 because it tells you how. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? Here it is. Here it is. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
See, God was with Moses, or God was with Joshua when his knees were shaking, giving his first speech after Moses died. God was with uh, Joshua when they marched through the Jordan River at high tide. Jo God was, would be with him when they circle a fortified city with an unconventional strategy for war. And now God is with him when he has to pick up his knife and make a really, really tough call. Some of you need to pick up a knife. There's a tough decision that you need to make. In fact, last question is, is there a tough decision that you know you should make but fear is holding you back? It might be to release an unproductive employee. It might be to sever a toxic relationship. It might be to change the literal course of your life and follow Jesus. Or maybe admit to an addiction and get some help. Here's what I know. Don't put it off. Don't abdicate your responsibility. Don't let fear keep you from doing the courageous thing because God is with you and God will empower you. Amen? All right, that's it. I'm done. No more on circumcision. That's the best I could do. Okay, that's the best I could do. Is that kind of like dropping the mic and walking off? I, I don't know what that is. But here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And I want to pray for a special group of people. I'm going to pray for all of you, but I want to pray for a special group of people who have to make tough decisions almost every day, uh, who impact all of our lives. Uh, and uh, they're, they're teachers, they're educators, principals, homeschool moms, dads, um, and school starts right away, or maybe it's already started. And we want you to know we love you, we care for you, and I want you to know this message applies to you. Uh, and we want to pray for your tough decisions. So if you're a teacher, uh, educator of any kind, or I'm going to throw in one more group, if you're a parent and your child's going to school for the very first time, maybe in a new grade or whatever, would you stand here and at the campuses? We want to pray for you. Just go ahead, stand up, and, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to appreciate you too. We're going to appreciate what you guys do. We are thankful. We are thankful. We are thankful. Go ahead, go ahead. Up, up, up. Stand up. We're not done. Making a tough leadership decision here. I know you don't want to be pointed out, but you do want to be prayed for, right? And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you here and at the campuses. And if you're on the seats, I want you to just kind of stretch your hand forward, maybe even touch the shoulder of somebody next to you that's standing. And I want you to pray as if it depended on you. Will you do that? Because these are the people teaching your kids, your grandkids, your friends. And, uh, and, and, and they need God's help and they need courage. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our teachers and educators, moms and dads, people who are on the front lines of um, imparting wisdom and truth into our children, our grandchildren. God, I pray that your wisdom would come. I pray that your courage would come. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. God, in the, in the 5%, in just those few decisions that they'll have this year where it's going to 
require incredible courage. I pray that they wouldn't be afraid of them ahead of time, but they would know that you will walk through it with them. God, I pray that they would be like Joshua and they would ingest your word, that they would meditate on your word, that your word would be on their lips, that this would be the most prosperous and successful year that they've had. God, we're gonna believe you for that. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.